If you would, take out the Word of God and turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18 of this chapter as we continue, continue our study through the book of Philippians uh, that we're calling Joyful Witnesses. And as you do that, I, I do have a few more announcements. Um, first of all, uh, at our um, Connect table in the back, the circle table there, uh, we have put out deacon nomination forms. Uh, our church grows, and we need more deacons. We want to be very clear what a deacon is. A deacon is a servant leader in the context of the church. And deacons serve so that the word can be preached and the mission of the church can move forward. Uh, deacons are not a default elder board. They're not just the final say. I know that's how it functions in a lot of churches. That's not how it will function here uh, there's a lot more that goes into decisions around here than just the deacons want to do this or that. Uh, we want men who are qualified. And so you'll notice on the form, there are biblical qualifications for deacons. And so uh, this is not a popularity contest. We want you to take this very seriously. We want you to look over this list. We want you to see what a deacon does. And if you take it seriously, there should be people in your mind as you pray through this who immediately come to your mind. And if no one comes to your mind, do not nominate anyone. Uh, it should be obvious who the deacons are. They're humble, they're meek, they sacrifice, they serve no matter what, uh, and they're going to lead us in that way. And so make sure uh, to take that very, very seriously. Um, and then also you'll notice our ministry nomination form. We have standing ministries around here, finance, missions, personnel, and BFG. And we need more um, nominations for this team uh, as we go into 2021. And so uh, take, one of, take one of those forms and fill it out. And there again, I would say uh, you may know someone. I said accountant last service and I offended the accountants. Um, you, may, you may know someone that's accountant, but you say you don't they probably shouldn't be messing with church finances. That would make sense sometimes. Uh, so I'll use the illustration of, you may know someone who works in HR. Uh, maybe they shouldn't be uh, on the personnel team. That only makes sense to some of you, but uh, fill it out. Uh, and we do, more than anything, on these teams, we want people who love this church. If you, uh, if you want someone who's just looking for power or name on a list, uh, we don't we don't want to mess around with that. This is the Lord's church. This is Jesus's church. We serve him and we only want folks serving here who are serving Jesus. So uh, make sure to fill those things out. Also, the as you came in, if you want to find out what's going on around here. You can look at this uh, bulletin, go to their events page and one very, very important announcement. Um, this week I was at a ball game and someone walked up to me and um, just out of nowhere. I wasn't expecting this. They said, how are you getting everybody to come back to your church? And, and I was taken back by it, and I was thinking, yeah, I don't even know. I don't know. They just came back. They're just coming back. Like, I don't know that we're doing anything special or different. Um, and he began to tell me a story about his church. And they have less than a fourth of church members who have returned to worship. And it was really in, in kind of... Um, heartbreaking despair as he was explaining that to me and there's all kinds of reasons for that um, we've worked really really hard uh, to, to gather again and we will continue to do that I think at this point we're starting to grow uh, beyond just folks who were here before 
the quarantine, and we're so excited about that, and we're going to keep working on that and keep doing a better job at that. And one of the ways that we need to do that is we need more folks to volunteer to uh, serve in children's ministry. That is an obstacle for certain families to come back and gather. Um, some folks, they, they just they just can't bring their kids into the worship service. It doesn't fit for them, and so they need folks serving in kids. And I know some of you are going, you're just waiting for other people to volunteer. You're like, I want to take my kids back there, so I need somebody else to volunteer. Well, I could be really rude to you right now, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to be kind and gracious. Um, we need everybody. We need everybody to serve. So don't wait for somebody else to do it. And if you have kids and you want folks to serve you, you really need to think about serving them as well. And so please volunteer to serve in our children's ministry. We're trying to get it back full go. But I think we need 30, 30 volunteers uh, to, to get it going. So make sure to do that. Well, it is a joy to be here today as a church family, and at this time we get to look at the Word of God. That's what I get paid to do, not make announcements. So uh, Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word. And, and as we read these words, I want you to remember, Paul did not just win a football game. He did not just uh, pass a test. Or get a job promotion. No, he's in prison. He's got chains on his wrist. And he still writes these words. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Oh God, we pray that we would leave here today saying those words. God, we are facing any and every circumstance. We wake up every day in our own lives and we have no clue what the day will bring. We look out at the world, we have no clue what's going to happen next. And yet the joy and freedom and peace of the gospel causes us, gives us the strength to charge out and face whatever circumstance. Because Christ and the gospel is what strengthens us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Maybe see it. Batteries not included. Every time I see that phrase, I think of one person. One person particularly, specifically. Every time we're shopping at Christmas time, getting our kids gifts, every time I see a commercial, every time I, I pick up a toy or a package or something that says batteries not included. My whole life, since fifth grade, I've thought about one specific person named John. He was in my fifth grade class. And John was, was just a spoiled brat he got everything he wanted, and there's a lot of people named John, so don't try to figure out who it is. Don't go to my Facebook page and search my friends, except he does have blonde hair, and he probably, unless he's come to Jesus, he probably still looks selfish and spoiled. Uh, I'm just kidding. I hope he's a Christian now. Anyway, you can tell I'm still bitter about it. 
But it just so happened it was Christmas party time in fifth grade, and we were drawing names. And I'll never forget the moment I, I reached into the, the basket, I think it was, and I pulled out John's name. And my heart sank because I knew this kid, and, and he was spoiled. He was a twit. He was a brat. He was so uh, self-consumed. And, and I got his, his name, and my heart sank because I knew the pressure of having to get this kid something that he was going to like. And you can see how spiritual I was in fifth grade. I was already thinking about other people. And the, the, but but I, I, I was so overwhelmed with the responsibility to get this kid a gift. And so I went home to my mom, and my mom was in nursing school at the time. She was working a full-time job, probably had very little time and, and maybe even money to, to go out and buy his uh, kid a gift. And she said, okay, I'll handle it. And I, I remember looking at her going, no, we're not just going to handle it. We have to get this kid the best gift that's ever been gotten at a fifth grade Christmas party. Like it has to be the best uh, because if not, he will humiliate me. And, and I can only imagine how this is going to go. And so I remember going out with my mom and I think we were we were in Walmart, and we, we came across this remote control truck. And I remember it looked just like the Fall Guys truck, Lee Majors. You've seen that show. Some of you have seen it. It looked just like that truck, that brown truck, jumping over roads and crashing into houses. On, and I thought, this is the greatest gift that anyone could get at a fifth-grade Christmas party. And I, I remember even talking to my mom, and, and it went way beyond the price you were supposed to pay. And I said, I don't care. We're getting it. We're getting this kid this gift just to save my reputation at school. And I remember everyone's opening their gifts, and, and it was John's turn to open his gift, and he tore into the package. He looked at the truck, just unimpressed. Like, really? He probably already had one. Just looked at it unimpressed. And I thought, no thank you, nothing. Just sort of moved on. Someone else opened their gift. And then later on in the day, it was time to free time. So everyone's playing with the gifts that they got that day. And, and I remember doing something and John coming up behind me and grabbing my shoulder and spinning me around and yelling in my face, it says batteries not included, you moron. This isn't. This sounds like a sitcom, but this really happened, and it scarred me my whole life. Every Christmas, I think about John. When my kids are opening their uh, packages on Christmas, I think about that moment and how they're going to respond. And one of the things we've done as parents is we're like, "You ain't going to respond that way," and, and and we make sure our kids say thank you and they're grateful for everything because that moment was so embarrassing. In front of the whole class, batteries not included, you moron. It still just rings in my head. And yet I think it's a picture of how we live our life before God. God who has given us so much. We get to live in his world full of these great and glorious gifts. And then he, on top of that, he gives us the gospel and everything's included in the gospel. Nothing's left out. We have everything we need in this life and the life to come in Christ. And yet we're still those little selfish brats who are walking around in the world just sort of murmur, murmuring to ourselves, complaining about what we don't have. 
about what's not there, about what others aren't giving us. Sure, God, you gave me this life, but it's really hard. Why didn't you include safety, ease, more money? Why didn't you do it this way? Sure, you gave me the gospel, but, but what, what are all the things you haven't given me? And we've learned in the book of Philippians that that sort of disgruntled, whiny, complaining does not match the joy of the gospel. And yet the gospel can give us such joy in Christ that we don't need anything from anybody else. And anything anyone does for us is bonus. Which is exactly the way Paul responds to the gift the Philippians have sent him through Epaphroditus. They care about Paul who is in prison. They send Epaphroditus who almost dies to get this gift to him. And notice how Paul responds in verse 11. I rejoiced in the Lord. And that theme is throughout the whole book. This joy and this happiness, this gladness that you are to have in the Lord. In the Lord, in the gospel, in the word of God. That is where we find our joy and happiness in the mission that God has given us. We, we rejoice in that. We literally glad in it, happy in it, joy in it, in the Lord for what he's done for us and what, how we are serving him. And notice he says greatly, mega, and now at great length. I can't tell you how happy I am about what God's doing in your life and our partnership in the gospel. And notice he says you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What you've done through Epaphroditus is just a tangible expression of your faith. Because you believe in Jesus, you love me, and now you've had opportunity to show it. Praise God, Paul says. And then verse 11, Paul says, I want to be clear, though. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For whatever I have learned in whatever situation, I am content. Now, we read that, we think, Paul is a jerk. Hey, thank you guys for the gift. I'm so glad you got to serve the Lord in serving me. Don't be very clear. I didn't need the gift. Didn't need it anyway. I'm not in need. You think, wow, that's a jerk. He's just being a jerk. You imagine someone at Christmas, a birthday party, you give them a gift. They stand up and say, man, I really like this gift, but I want you to know I didn't need it. I didn't need it because I love Jesus so much. I'm so content in Jesus. I don't need y'all to bring me anything for my birth. You, you say, you're being a jerk. But here Paul is so content in the gospel. And, and remember, the, the Spirit of God is penning these words. This is coming through the Holy Spirit. And he says, I have learned. Notice that phrase or that word, learned. It means to experience something to gain wisdom, it means to be trained in something. And we need to understand, contentment is something we learn. We don't just wake up with a personality that's content. We, 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 that's just not who we are. We're not content people. You have to learn contentment. And Paul says he's learned it in whatever situation to be content. And the word content means to... To have everything that he needs. He doesn't need anyone else. And so Paul says here, I get to suffer and you have the opportunity to serve me as I suffer. 
But I want you to know, even in my suffering, I don't need you. That, that sounds scandalous. But what if you were so content in the Lord that you didn't need anything from anyone else? Think about living your life that way. How thankful would you be for everything? How grateful would you be for what others do for you? What sort of joy would you have in, in, in the way that others serve you and you're not sitting back waiting on them to serve you? Anything anybody does for me is bonus because I'm so content in the Lord. Think about the contentment. Think about the joy. Think about the gratitude. Others aren't, aren't walking on eggshells around you. They're not thinking... How can I please this person? Man, I'm going to make them happy. I'm going to do this for them and they're going to enjoy it. They're going to like it. Will they approve of this? That No, you're so content in the Lord that you don't need anything from others. So you're not demanding from others. Imagine how church life would be if we were all so content in the Lord. We didn't walk in thinking... How is this person going to serve me? In what way are they going to serve me? Are they going to do it the way that I want to? Are they going to meet all of my needs? We wouldn't walk into church that way. We would walk in on, so content in the Lord that we're thinking about how we're serving others. We would show up for church and say, what can I do for somebody else today? Oh, no, no, no. I don't need you to serve me. I'm looking for opportunities to serve. Think about how your home would change. If you were so content in the Lord, husbands, that all you, had, all you would focus on is loving your wife as Christ loved the church. You are so content that Jesus loves you and His love is going to be a tangible expression of your love for your wife in your home. And so you're not worried, well, she's so disrespectful. She's always grumbling. She's complaining. You know, No, I'm loving. I'm loving her. And by the way, as you love her, you cultivate respect. But what about wives in your home? You're so content in the Lord that you're not worried about what your husband is or isn't doing. No, my role is to respect, is to trust, is to follow. And, and you're focused on that out of your contentment. You're focused on your role, not what others are or are not doing for you. Think about how your friendships would be. If you were so content in the Lord, you wouldn't continually be disappointed in others who aren't meeting your needs. They're not doing it that way. They, they didn't call me. They didn't text me. They haven't responded. They haven't shown up. Well, if you're content in the Lord... Anything anybody else does for you is bonus. And, and we enter every relationship understanding this. And I say this a lot. None of us are sovereign. And we're all sinful. If you can get that down in every relationship, when you look at the other person and you say, they're not sovereign, they're not going to meet my needs the way a sovereign Lord whose name is Jesus will. And they're sinful. They're going to be selfish at times. But Jesus isn't. And you say, I'm not sovereign. I can't meet their needs. And I'm selfish. And I'm sinful. So we all better be content. And we all better find our joy. We all better find our happiness in the Lord. Or we're going to be miserable. No one's going to meet our expectations. We're constantly going to be falling short. Notice he continues. I know how to be brought low. Now again, verse 12. I know. It's experiential knowledge. It's something he's learned to be brought low. And the word here means to be humbled 
or abased. It is the it, it is it can even be translated vile. It means the lowest of low. And Paul says, I know what it's like to be a no name. I know what it's like to enter the city as a criminal preaching the gospel. And I know what it's like to be tossed in a prison cell and nobody knows your name. He also says, I know how to abound. I know what it's like to be praised as a as a great teacher in every and any and every circumstance. Now read those words, any and every. Whatever the situation, he says, again, I have learned. I've learned. I've been, this is wisdom. I've grown in this. It's not just something that just happens. It's something you have to embrace. You have to engage in. And notice the secret of plenty. Having more food than I would ever need and also hunger, which could be translated starving. To be in abundance or need. Now, Paul here, he goes back and forth to be glutted, to be starving, to be a no name, to be popular, to have more than I need, to having nothing. And, and he uses this word here when he says, I have learned the secret. And the secret there was actually a term used of pagan religion, where, where folks would, uh, they would engage in spiritual exercise. And it was often to, to, to find what we learned from Karate Kid, balance. Balance, Danielson. You're not too high. You're not too low. No, you're a person of balance. You're right in the middle. And and Paul says, I have learned that. I've learned this tranquility, this peace. And so, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can be in any of these circumstances. Why? Because him, Christ, strengthens me. And again, this goes back to being strong in the Lord. To, to be strong in the gospel, the word of God, the promises of God. You are content and trusting whatever God is doing because there's a cross and there's a resurrection for you. You are strong in the gospel. That's what Paul is talking about here. Context determines what he's talking about. Because this is literally the most interpreted verse in the Bible and it's not even close. The most misinterpreted verse in the Bible. And it represents at our present time what we would call therapeutic deism that has invaded so many churches. And and, and therapeutic deism says God exists to do what I want. And I use Him to do what I want. The world revolves around me, and so does Jesus. He has to do whatever I want. And so this is their life verse. I can win the game through who strengthens me. I can pass the test through Christ who strengthens me. I can get the promotion through Christ who strengthens me. It's this convoluted, positive thinking where you throw Jesus in and you get whatever you want. Life will turn out however I want it to through Christ who strengthens me. That's how that verse is applied and thought about. But there's a problem with it. Not the gospel. And it doesn't even work in real life. Because I've learned by now, I'm 43, I can't quarterback the Dallas Cowboys. I, I really wanted to do that when I was a kid. Thought I was going to do it. I probably prayed about it. God, I want to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Didn't happen. Why? Because I'm around six foot, not in great shape, and it just ain't going to happen. I thought by now I would have won the Daytona 500. That didn't happen either. I really wanted it to. 
It wouldn't have mattered how much faith I would have, how much confidence in myself. Even those things I listed there, there's, there's like less than 1% of humanity that can even do those things. And so you can't do whatever you want. And it's harsh to tell people that. It's cruel. It's not going to happen. You want people to work hard. You want your kids to work hard. You want them to pursue goals. You don't want them to be lazy at all. You want them to go hard after life. But you don't always get what you want. It doesn't always work out how you want. No, the strength Paul is talking about here is way more profound than that. It's way more profound than just getting what you want. The strength he's talking about here is, notice, it's a contentment. And why are you content? You're content because your identity in Christ never changes. Never changes, no matter your circumstance, no matter what happens in life, you get what you want, you don't, you're still the same in Christ. Meaning, you believe in the Son, and so in the Son, you are a son. You're a child of God who's been forgiven of their sins because of the Son's cross. You're a child of God who has the righteousness of the Son. It is though you have never sinned and you've always obeyed in Jesus. In the Son, you've already been raised from the dead. In the Son, you will rule and reign with Jesus forever. That's your identity. And what Paul says is that's what gives me strength no matter what. Because that never changes. It never changes. In plenty or little, never changes. Things are easy. Things are hard. Never changes. My identity in Christ is what gives me the power. It's also his mission never changes. The mission is to declare that Jesus is Lord no matter what. And he says, these things never change. So the reality for you today is God has you right where you are. This second, this season in life, God has you right where you are to teach you contentment so that you would learn it like Paul. And so some of us come in here today and we have great wealth. Our savings is overflowing. We have disposable income. Some of us worked hard for that. Others, it was easy to come by. Well, God has you right there. Not that you would be content in your money, but so that you would know you have something even better than that. He's given you a taste of His goodness so that you would know His kingdom's even better than that. And you would look to the kingdom. And then some of us come in here and we've made so many financial mistakes. We have so much debt. We don't know how we're going to pay our bills. We don't know how it's all going to work out. God has you right there to trust Him. To trust Him that ultimately Jesus paid your worst debt. Your sin before God. Some of us come in here today and we feel forgotten. We have friends, we have loved ones who, who why aren't they, why did they ghost me? God has you right there with that feeling in your gut to remember and to have strength in Christ that because Jesus was forsaken, you'll never be forsaken by God. And to take joy and delight in that reality. Paul says, even when the diagnosis is good, I have strength in Christ. If the diagnosis is good, I can say Jesus is better. Do you realize the promise of the gospel is that one day Jesus is going to open the sky and if you die before he comes, you're going to be in your coffin, in your urn, in your whatever. And he's, the power of God is going to reach down and resurrect every molecule of your body. And so when you go to the doctor and he says, the tests are all clear. You go, well, that's just bonus because I've already been raised from the dead in Jesus. 
That's bonus. Oh, that's great. But even when the diagnosis is bad, Jesus is at the right hand of God ruling and reigning. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He's still good. That's where God has got you in that moment. Well, you may have the letters in front of your name that you always wanted, the letters behind your name that you always wanted, MA, PhD, whatever it is. Why did he give you that? So that you would take more delight in the fact that God knows your name. Knows you by name. Before God, you are nothing else but a Christian. Do you understand that? As you are striving for something else, to be somebody else, you have to find the strength to stand before God and say, forgiven is enough. Righteous is enough. Raised from the dead is enough. The promise of eternal life is enough. You've got to find the strength in whatever situation to say my identity in Christ hasn't changed and that's enough to get me through it. To be content. But he says there is mission doesn't change. And one of the things about this that is so insulting, I think, to the Apostle Paul is the way we apply that verse. Paul's, I love football, by the way. I love sports, baseball. I love it all. Except soccer. Um, so I'm not downplaying sports. But I like soccer a little bit. Um, Paul's not playing a sport. He's in jail for preaching the gospel. And I think Paul would laugh us out of the building when we started applying this verse to the things we want. I want the promotion. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Paul said, yeah, and you can get fired too. Do that through Christ who strengthens you. I think he would laugh us out of the building for the way we apply this verse. I can lift this 300 pounds over my head. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, you can also get crushed by it. Paul would just think it was human. He's preaching the gospel. He's on mission. He's witnessing the gospel. And our witness never changes. And we have to be content with that. You have lots of money. You're to leverage it for the kingdom. Your mission stays the same. You don't have lots of money. Your mission stays the same. You give what you got for the sake of the mission. It's the same. Your mission doesn't change what you have or you don't have. You leverage your success. You leverage. Some of you here today have been given wonderful platforms. You're known by people in the community. You're known. You're leaders. Well, you have to leverage that for the sake of the gospel, ultimately. And then there's other people here. Nobody will ever know you. Well, you have to leverage that for the kingdom. And maybe there's a day it's all taken away from all of us. And we leverage that for the kingdom. We can still say hashtag blessed. Because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that never changes. Our mission never changes. And God places us there to say Jesus is better. Whether we're a CEO or a greeter at Walmart. Jesus is Lord. Whether we're on the trophy stand or in the cancer ward. Jesus is Lord. To say at the end of the day, yes, Jesus has faced my giants. And he slayed them. And he is Lord. You see, a gospel that just changes our circumstances is no gospel at all. That's not good news. Because your circumstances are going to change thousands of times in this life. A gospel that just gives you what you want is not good news. And it will make you miserable. 
We've all experienced that with our kids when we're just trying to make them happy and they're screaming and they're crying. And, and we're, we try to put them here, put them there, hold them, put them in the bed, do whatever. And it, it doesn't change. They're still squalling out. They're still miserable. We can't change it. And so often that's the way we live. We're just squalling out crying because we want God to change something. And He changes. Maybe He does change it and we're still miserable. Maybe by His grace you do get what you want every now and then. You're still, that's not the gospel. That's God's goodness and grace. And a gospel that just gives you what you want is not the gospel. It's a gospel that gives you what you need. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need eternal righteousness. I need a resurrection. I need a king. And when I have that, it doesn't matter what circumstances I'm in. Paul communicates that about the Philippians here in verse 14. He says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble, to partner in fellowship in my pain through preaching the gospel. And he describes the way the Philippians have partnered with him from the very beginning. They believe the gospel, they hear the gospel, and they were all in. And Paul says, when he left Macedonia, he was run out of the cities there for preaching the gospel. And he says, no church entered into partnership with me, but you. You were giving and you were receiving. We were partners even then. Paul says, everybody else looked at me as a criminal. People were ashamed to associate with me, but not you. Remember earlier in the book, he says that is a witness of their destruction. He says, not you. He says, even in Thessalonica, there was a Bible study and people were being thrown out in the streets and there's persecution. He says, you hung in there with me. You made sure I was taken care of. And then he does it again. It's like he praises them and then he says, not that I seek the gift. Paul, what are you trying to say here? You were there with me all along, but I didn't need you. Didn't need you anyway. Jesus is so good. Jesus is enough. Notice he says, but what you needed. Notice he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. (laughs) Paul says, I'll suffer for preaching the gospel and I'll let you be a part of it. I'll let you have the joy of giving to it. I'll let you experience the joy of giving to missions. Paul basically says, I'll go be the missionary. You just give and you'll be happy just giving. I'll go suffer and you can serve. Verse 8, he said, I've received full payment and more. I have more than I ever needed. I'm well supplied. I'm brimming over with what I need. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Epaphroditus who dies along the way. And notice he describes the gift of fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And he invokes language of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so there would be at times where an animal was sacrificed and the smoke would go up. You had the burnt offering and the smoke would go up. And just watching the smoke go up, the animal is totally consumed. Nothing left. The people would know we are accepted by God. And Paul says, your act of service in giving to me is like sacrifice in that way. It's poof, it's gone, but it was for the Lord anyway. It was for the Lord anyway. It's like a burnt offering. It's like incense going to God. Maybe it is already used up. The the gifts, the money, the resources, whatever it is they sent him. It's going to all be used up, but ultimately it wasn't about the stuff. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about you. It was a worship offering to God. Paul explains here that we're partners in ministry. Kind of like business partners. 
But the investment is to the Lord. It's not to me and you. And how different would that change the way you served others? If you weren't showing up thinking, my act of service is an investment and I'm waiting for the return. And so what's the return? Are you going to tell me how great my green beans were? You can tell me how great my decorations were. You can tell me how great I, I, I did this or that. I served coffee. You, you're going to tell me how faithful I am. You're going to tell me how committed I am. You, you're going to tell me what a great teacher I am. You're going to tell me how good with kids I am. You're going to, and do you see what you're doing? Paul says that is bondage if you're serving in that way. Paul says we all come and we serve and the investment is to the Lord. We can even get burned at times. There are situations, there are things that I've given to my own money, lots of money to, and it didn't pan out, it didn't work out. And you just kind of feel sick. You're like, man, I gave those people money and they didn't even use it for that or they didn't use it wisely. That ministry failed. That thing didn't go through. And you have that sick feeling in your stomach. Well, the issue is it wasn't about you anyway. Your money was given over to the Lord. Let him handle what happens with it. You need to be wise, but it's given over to the Lord. And then he says, our service is like sacrificial worship. It it is burned up anyway. It's not as though we're going to get to heaven and we're all going to have our our, our list and our resume of what all we did for Jesus. Listen, the reality is the things we do for Christ in this world are like burnt offerings. We're saying to God, we love you this much. We would sacrifice our own life to declare how worthy Jesus is. And sometimes we experience that when we share the gospel with people. We go into a situation and we pour our hearts out. People we love and we want them to believe in Jesus. We want them to be a part of what we experience here today. And we're pleading with them, pleading with them. Turn from their sins and turn to Christ. And the next thing you know, you haven't talked to them in a month. They're not returning your text. They don't want anything to do with you. And that feeling in your gut, Paul would say, That sacrifice, what it cost you, the thing it cost you, even if it's a friendship, is like sacrificial worship. It's it's gone. It may be in your eyes, there's no return. It's gone. Yeah, but you've declared how valuable Jesus was to you. And that's all that matters. It's for Jesus. You're sacrificing your time, your energy, your reputation, your pride for Jesus. Not not necessarily for the other person because you may be hated. You may be shunned. But you give it all over for the sake of Jesus' name to declare He is worthy. And the truth is, Paul writing this knows full well that he may, and we know that he did, die for serving Jesus. And when Paul came to the end of his life and he was writing a letter to Timothy, he described his life as a drink offering. He says, I am being poured out on hot coals of an altar that declares Jesus is worthy and it's like pouring out a drink and poof, it's gone, vapor. My life that's a vapor is used to declare Jesus is worthy. And even if I lose my life, it wasn't wasted. What if you could wake up tomorrow morning and pray this prayer? God, glorify yourself today. No matter what it costs me. That's scary. Maybe you're destitute. Maybe you end up dead. 
that you say, this is about Jesus. Whatever it costs me. That's the power of the gospel. It's not to get what you want, it's to be who you are. Child of God, forgiven in Christ. Once brats clamoring for more than what we had, now given everything in Christ to enjoy this world, all the gifts God has given us, even those when batteries are not included.